What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Pat, it's 2020. Yeah. It's a new year. Yeah. Do you reckon if we call Jason Furman, his attitude might have improved? Only one way to find out. Should we call him? Yeah. Okay, let's do that. Yeah. Hello, Buffhead. Hey, Cockhead, what are you doing? <laughs> you woke me up, you bastard. Dude, we're recording another ad and we thought we'd call you. Just to- <laughs> yeah, you fucking woke me up. You're lucky, all right? <laughs> oh, is that one of the reasons you don't like people calling you? Because you work nights? Yeah, that's like I, I, I try to stay awake until fucking midday, but no, people ring me at like three in the afternoon. Oh. Like as if they have lives. Hey, Jase, got any cool stuff for sale? Through com. Yeah, if uh, you get on the website and if you're a balanced trainer, certified balanced trainer, that's NDTF or Bartbell and Gold School, right. um, you can get up to $40 off HS products. I see. Is that because you're an ethical good guy and you're trying to outprice people just buying them without knowing what they're doing with them? Pretty much. There are other reasons, but mostly it's that. I'm a, I am an arsehole as well. But <laughs> so if people wanted all this kind of dog training equipment... Uh, equipment, yeah, equipment. Is that a chipmunk with that has equipment on? Yeah, okay. Uh, is, is that my new name, Pat? Yeah, you're the, you're the equipment. <laughs> the equipment. Yeah. Where do they go to check out that? Best bet is einzweck.com. www.einzweck.com. All right. Happy New Year, Buffhead. Glenn, are you eating dog food? I'm not eating dog food. Okay. But people thought I was last time. This is why we're redoing this ad because last time we were doing it, we had people ringing up saying, I'm very confused. It sounds like you're eating dog food. What dog food did people think you were eating? They thought I was eating Bright Spites. Why would people think you were eating it? Well, because on our ad last time, I made a little rustle and you said, Glenn, what are you doing? (laughs) And I said, I'm enjoying some Bright Spites. Isn't it that... The Bright Spites are so healthy and nutritious for a dog that they're amazing to use in training because dogs love the flavor of them. They're actually very good for the dog. Mm. And they're so delicious that you thought maybe you'd have a little nibble? Well, you could because it's been so well made. As you said, as you pointed out, Kylie Bright uses all the best products that you could possibly think of in her dog treats Mm -hmm. that you could possibly eat them. But they're not recommended for human consumption, but they are great for your dog. Okay. Where would I get these? Dog Squad Canine Services.com.au. Did you say Dog Squad Canine Services.com.au? I did, sir. Would I spell that canine or spell it out? Canine as in C A N I N E, not K9. Okay. So spell it out Dog Squad Canine Services.com.au. Get yourself some Bright's Bites, use them to train your dog. Don't have a nibble yourself unless you really want to. Exactly. <laughs> Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. Hello, sir. How are you, sir? I'm quite well. Good. We've got a good one planned today. Yes. 
I say that a lot, but this is a good one. It's another, ed- <laughs> well, it's an educational one. <laughs> we actually have one planned. We do. Instead of just sitting we, here going. And we actually had like a little pre-meeting over it, yep. which we don't usually do. That's right. So usually we just switch at the gear on and just hammer one out. So we recently did- uh, <laughs> That sounded at, a bit rude. <laughs> <laughs> we recently did an episode, one of the urban myths busted, and we spoke mm. quite a bit about rescue myths. Yes. And um, it got a fair bit of traction in the discussion group. Yeah. So what we just have decided to do is do an episode that- I mean, most people that are listening to us are probably industry people. Mm. I know we have a lot of sort of enthusiasts and people coming into the industry that listen to us. And I'm hoping that for most of you guys today, what we're going to talk about in regards to rescue dogs should hopefully be things that you know. The plan is to have this episode really act as a point of reference that maybe you can point people towards so that you don't have to have the same conversation in regards to rescue over and over and over. Yeah, absolutely. This is to sort of act as a, a guide to anybody who will be rescuing a dog. Mm. And um, just suggestions too. So yeah. there's no need to get heated up about it or say that this is an absolute because we've maintained that position most of the time throughout all our podcasts is mm-hmm. it's suggestions, not information that's absolute. Yeah. It's to the best of our knowledge. The best of our knowledge. And yeah. So to sort of explain, both of us have had rescues in the past. Neither of us have presently. The dogs I have are, you know, bred for purpose. And it's not that I'm anti-rescue in the slightest. I've had rescue dogs in the past. Yeah, um, and you guys here at PRA do a lot in regards to rescue. You store many dogs here, right? Of um, course. Yeah. There's a ton of dogs that come in here from rescue facilities. And we have a few rescue facilities that we do some periodic work with the dogs. So we take them in for time. So it's a bit of quid pro quo because the rescue services speak about our facilities Mm -hmm. and, you know, tell people we're out there. And we also take the dogs in and do some pre-work with them. So we give them a week or two's worth of education. So it's great for our trainers because they get access Mm -hmm. to dogs that they can train. It's great for the dogs. It's great for the entire industry altogether. And it's great for the person who ends up with a dog who's got some training behind it. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So to front load everyone is, is essentially what we're saying is neither of us are directly involved with rescue, but anybody that's in the industry is certainly dealing with rescue in one way or shape or form. Mm. Right. So the first thing we were thinking about discussing is which rescues people should go to. Yes, absolutely. I think that's a big draw card. And it's like anything, it's like choosing a mechanic or anything like that, is that you want something that you actually know that they do their job well. Yeah. That they've got some ethical behavior and standards behind them. Mm -hmm. It's very confusing for people because, I mean, let me say this with some dignity. But there's a lot of people out there who get involved in rescue and they become far too emotional around it. Yes. And that's a problem for a lot of people is because at the end of the day, when you're talking about taking a dog home and giving it a home for the rest of its life, hopefully, you want to make sure that you're getting some very, very sound information. And when it becomes too emotional, when somebody is just hoping that somebody will take that dog out of there and not giving them accurate guidelines and information on who the dog is and what it's about, that can be very detrimental for everybody. That means that it's a a short-lived program rather than something for the rest of that dog's life. Mm -hmm. So you'd say that when you're talking to people in the rescue or you're looking for one is to look for people who can talk about the dogs in their care or that they have for adoption, like objectively. Best industry knowledge and practices. Yeah. Mm. Rather than try and avoid anybody that would push a dog on you emotively. Yeah. And can really look at the dog and be like, okay, like this is who he is. This is, yeah. What do you know about the difference, you know, breed specific rescues versus others? 
Well, I guess with breed-specific rescues is they they do have a lot of institutional knowledge about the breed. Mm-hmm. Like they've chosen that breed for a reason. It's something that they have prior knowledge with. They've worked with a lot of that type of dog and they know the character and the mindset of the dog more than other dogs. Mm-hmm. So I guess that people who are working in mixed breed industries, I've spoken to a lot of people in rescue fields before who have taken in various different breeds and they know things about a certain type of dog and other dogs are a complete wilderness to them. Mm-hmm. They're kind of looking at them, scratching their head, thinking, you know, I don't know, is this a normal character trait for this dog or is it just a behavior, a learned behavior or a problem that the dog has? So, mm-hmm. yeah. It's been my experience that breed-specific rescues really should just be kind of a transitional hub Mm. in that if you can determine the dog's breed, then likely it should have a breeder that it can go back to. That's right. Right. And a breeder of a purebred dog should, all ethical breeders should really, if someone's circumstances change and they can, for whatever reason, no longer care for the dog, they themselves should be the rehomer of that dog. Take it back and find another suitable home for it. If they can. Yeah, of course. Right. Speaking of that, there's a situation that developed offshore for one of our German Shepherds, Mm -hmm. and it was a bit of a problematic situation. One you bred? One we bred. Right, so you can't get that dog back. Well, we can at a lot of expense. Yeah. And the time of year they wanted, like they wanted us to take it at Christmas, and I just said, I've got nowhere for it. I cannot place it A lot of it, where, where was the dog? Tassie. Oh, okay, right, yeah. Yeah. So it was still Australia. Yeah, it was still Australia. So it wasn't, we're not talking way offshore, but we're talking offshore. So thankfully, other people in that state stepped in to help me and, you know, which I'm very appreciative of their personal time to make their time available Mm -hmm. to try and sort something out for me. I'm very, very appreciative of it. So I understand because, I mean, if, if you're in breeding, you're kind of in rescue as well. Yeah. It's a spillover effect of something that you do offer. And that was something that when we were in the Rottweiler Club too, anybody who served on the committee had to take time in doing rescue advice for people. So if people rang in with problem dogs or anything like that, And, you know, back in that era, most of the dogs that Boyd and I took on for law enforcement work were rescue dogs. Mm -hmm. They were dogs that people were- um, Lost control of. Lost control of, yeah, exactly. So they were dogs that were going to be euthanized and people rang up and said, you know, look, I've got this wild out of control dog. Can Mm -hmm. you guys take it? Mm -hmm. And fundamentally, it was a great position for us because we'd look at the dog and say, yeah, yeah, how much do you want? Yeah. And I go, oh, give it to you. Get rid of it. It's pain in the neck. It's just- taking up space in the backyard and killing all my dreams and visions. Mm-hmm. And we go, yeah, I'll take the dog. And we were able to transform the dog into a, a working dog with an active working role. Mm-hmm. And that was fantastic. It was the best of both worlds for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially the dog. The dog got to fulfill its biological fulfillment. Yeah, mm. that's cool. Yeah, it is cool. So on the breed-specific rescues, I think that if you want a new dog and you want to spring a spaniel yep. and you want a rescue because that's where your heart takes you, you want to give one a second chance. Like there is a spring a spaniel rescue. There right? is. You can get in contact with them. I know there's one in Australia and there's got to be others around the world. All breed clubs will have a rescue center that's focused around them. Yeah. So if you're not into wanting a puppy, you can actually ring them and say, look, I want an older dog. And the breeder may have one, or they might say to you, look, go to the breed-specific rescue center. Yeah, but in a breed-specific rescue, what there isn't is a kennel full of Springer Spaniels that are available. That's right. Right? So it's not a case of, like, if you decide, yeah, I want a Springer Spaniel, to just use an example, right? I want a Springer Spaniel, but I want it to be a rescue. 
chances are you can't just call Spring and Spaniel Rescue and they go, yeah, come around. We've got 100 of them in the kennel. Yeah, that's pick right. which one you want. But you should call them and be like, hey, I'm in the market for a Spring and Spaniel. Can I go on a list? Yeah, if mm. and when one becomes available. Exactly. Because someone's circumstances change. You know, yep. there's a lot of reasons why a purebred dog may end up in rescue. Sometimes for the really good dogs, the ones that, from my experience, come and go through rescue is usually because of like a, a death in the family or something like that, like its yep. owner dies. Mm. And there is a breeder who would happily take that dog back, but they just have no idea who that is. Like it's just a dog to them. The people that turn up, it's now just a, it's just a Springer Spaniel. It's not from a particular kennel Springer Spaniel. Yep. So that's the truth of breed specific rescues is that there probably isn't a bunch of them in the kennel unless... We're talking like pit bulls <laughs> because you want one of them or blocky headed dog. Yeah. Right? You can get those. The Amstaff. Yeah. The yeah. Amstaff or similar type. Yeah. Right. There are kennels. Well, for there's them. a glut of that type of bull breed dog out there. I copped some heat from somebody a while ago because we were talking about bull breed dogs and they kind of said, do you have a stigma about this type of breed? And I said, not at all. We've got an abundance of these dogs coming in to our kennels. Like we care for them all the time. And I said, I'm actually a bull breed owner myself because I own French bulldogs. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's fair to point out, and we've said it many times on the show, but maybe there's people listening who haven't heard it. I love pities. They're like my favorite dogs. They're just not suitable for what I want to do with That's my right. dog. Yeah. If I were a person that just wanted to hang out on the couch and, and have that type of dog and do the types of things that pities are into, I would have one, but yep. I'm not. I'm, I, I enjoy, I am involved in the bite sports. Therefore yep. I have a dog that was purpose bred for that. If truth be known, the reason that many of them have become a problem breed is because there's just such a glut of them. Yeah. So it's that you, you're weighing the balance of probabilities yeah. because there's so many of there's them. So there's many of them. so many ones yeah. with issues yep. because if there's a million dogs and 900,000 of them are pities or blocky-headed dogs, yep. if the percentage of dogs that are problematic is the same across them all, then you are going to have a larger number of pities that have that problem. That's right. right. It's just because there's a lot of them. Traditionally, we see amazing ones, mm. you know, absolutely fantastic, well-behaved. I mean, there's one that I've had in my profile picture on Facebook. He's in here right now, mm-hmm. and he's a gorgeous dog. Like, he's the most well He lives with a Rottweiler. The Rottweiler is a, a bit of a nut, but he's actually a beautiful dog. Mm-hmm. Mm. So let's talk about why someone would even want to get a dog from a rescue. Why would that happen? Well, situation where they don't want to raise a puppy. Puppies are a lot of work. Puppies are a huge amount of work. When you're talking about something that's just a chainsaw with four legs Mm -hmm. and, you know, no control and toilet training and everything else that goes with it, you know, like all the whining and whinging that goes on with owning a puppy. Waking up through the night. Exactly. Yeah. Well, a baby. It's a baby. Yeah. Yeah, It's like having a baby. It's the same thing, except babies can't fend for themselves pretty much for the first 12 months, Mm -hmm. you know, until they're really up and about. With puppies, I mean, they're running around getting into everything, you know, yeah. anything that's around there they'll chew on. And there's people who just don't want that. They so, yeah. just don't want a puppy. They don't want a puppy. One of the reasons I sometimes refer people to rescue when people, you know, the sort of pub conversation when people find out you're a dog trainer and they say, oh, I'm getting a dog. And they really specifically describe the characteristics or the temperament of the dog that they want. Yep. And they start asking, will this breed be like that? And will this breed be like that? And usually I, you know, explain to those people that- Only breed, age will determine that. Yeah. Mm. Breed can give you kind of a, a ballpark of likelihood yep. and it can point, hopefully point you in the right direction, but still it is not the most reliable determinant of personality. Mm. Which is why government departments have given up on, to a large degree, of dealing with puppies because it's just, you know, when you talk yeah, about- Yeah, it's a, it's a dice roll. Every, it is like, a dice genetics roll. Genetics is a dice roll. Yeah. It's Russian um, roulette. And so- 
when people explain to me really specifically, this is the temperament I want from the dog, what yep. kind of puppy should I get? I said, don't get one. Yeah. Because there's no telling how he's going to turn out. You know, you can shape and mold that, but his hobbies, interests, they're his own, yep. right? And you can hope for the best, but if you really specifically want that, I usually that's when I usually tell people, go to a rescue because yep. you can meet the dog. He mm. is what he is. And if he's in there at a year, 18 months old, then you can test him out and see, does he have the personality that you want? Does he display all the traits that you want yep. and move on? But I think one of the issues that comes of that, certainly in the people that I've encouraged to do that, is they fall in love with the first dog that they see yeah. and they just get that one. Going back on that original question of asking about the actual type of people in the rescue centers that's what you really don't want to run into is is a person in the rescue center who just wants a home for the dog yeah and they're just trying to guilt you into taking that yeah. dog any home will do not let's yeah. find the right home for this that's dog. right look i feel sorry for a lot of these people because they're really stuck in an emotional well sometimes yeah it's, totally. a, it's a very difficult job and you and i totally appreciate that we've met people we've talked to people we've seen the strain that people have had dealing with that type of thing. And it really weighs them down to a large degree because they're responsible for so many dogs that are coming into their care. And they, I mean, they're taking these dogs into their own homes. So into their own homes while they're trying to develop their own training programs with their own dogs. And that, you know, they've got four or five rooms filled with other people's problem dogs that they're trying to rehabilitate and get out there. So mm -hmm. I understand the pressure that is on them, but like if we're talking about a home for life, we really need to, as we mentioned previously, we need really need to make sure that these people are saying, look, honestly, this dog just wouldn't be right for you. I know he looks lovely, but in six months time, you're going to bring it back and say, Hey, this is ruining my lifestyle. Yeah. Whereas you would be perfect for that dog. Yeah. You and this dog, the lifestyle that you want to, you, like let's say people want to have more of a sedentary lifestyle where it's just a bit kickback and then somebody pushes a very active breed on them and says, you know, look, just please take him. He's, yeah, yeah. he's gorgeous. Just take him. Whereas if they give the person like a little cavoodly type of dog or something like that, which curls up on their bed or flops around with them like a little rag doll, that's more the sort of dog that they really need in their lifestyle at that time. Yeah. To zoom out from that, mm. I think as well. Zoom out. I like that. Yeah. It's like unpacking, zooming out. Yeah. The 30,000 foot view, yep. I was going to say. Yeah. But I chose zoom out. But zoom now out. I, said I like both. it. To zoom out from that, mm. I would then say you need to also be truthful and realistic with yourself and the rescue yes. about your capacity to yep. care for the dog. 100%. And so if you are a person that, intends to spend two hours a day training the dog, then that's fine. But don't, if you're a person that's that just it, right? wants a buddy that's going to sit on the couch with you yeah. and watch TV, there are rescues that are available for that. There are rescues that specialize in basically palliative care, right? Yeah. Like this dog's got six weeks left in him. And if you want someone to sit on the couch with you for six weeks, he's your guy, Yeah, right? There are dogs like that. There is aged rescues. There are places that are going to have, here's the couch potato dog. Mm. He can't like... Oh, you don't like you don't want to have to walk him? Well, good, because he, he doesn't want to walk. He's that old. You're right. It's like, funny you exists. say that. It's funny you say that about the palliative care type of thing. There there have been dogs in those situations where they haven't got much time left. Rescue facilities do have the strong mind and heart to take the dog on. And there have been people who understand that commitment and understand that they've got a very short shelf life with that dog left, yet they'll still take it on because they understand what it is. And I think just, that's beautiful. I, think, I do too. Like if, that's Really? If I had the capacity to do that, I'd like to do that. I yeah. think that to give a dog a, like a just at the end, you know, because whatever's happened, how how a poor dog has ended up being in rescue at the end of his life, it doesn't deserve a miserable end. Yeah, I think mm. that anybody that's in the capacity to do that and has it within their 
you know, fuck, it would be a not easy thing to do, no, right? No. To have the dog die on you every few months. But yep. I think that if you had the capacity to do that, what a beautiful thing to do. Yep. But anyway, like that's a thing that exists. A lot of people don't know that exists. Yeah, right? that's right. That is a real thing. And if you have the, if you just want to old, it doesn't even have to be palliative care. There are rescues that specialize in older dogs. Yep. That are dogs that are, you know, 10 plus seniors. years old. Yeah, senior seniors. Dogs, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's something to consider as well. Be realistic with yourself and the rescue about your intentions with the dog. Yeah, absolutely. And that's going to go a long way. Yeah. And I really mean that when you say be realistic with yourself. Yeah. Right? Like, you know. It's a Socrates thing. Know thyself. Yeah. You know, like be honest with yourself because a lot of times, and I use this term freely and openly, is a lot of times we get our ambitions mixed up with our capabilities. Mm-hmm. And I always say this and I maintain this point through and through. It's great to be ambitious. I encourage ambition in people. But being so ambitious over the top of your capabilities means that you will get yourself into trouble time and time again. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that happen with people who have chosen – you know, like let's talk about outside of rescues, just chosen a dog, a powerful working dog, when they're a very small frame person who doesn't have the confidence or the capability to handle that dog. That's when we talk about capabilities. That's when they do get into trouble. Mm-hmm. And they do get into trouble when they they take these dogs out of rescues, whether they're guilted in it or whether they misinform the person at the rescue, which happens quite a lot too, mm-hmm. because there have been times where we've sold puppies and we've been duped into selling it because We've been given all the right information, done yeah. a bit of background check and thought, this sounds good, yeah. but it's not because it's it's an illusion. Mm-hmm. Please just think about this type of thing. Don't get them for kids for Christmas presents. Don't get them just because your wife or your husband on a whim just want a, you know, a little play buddy to cuddle straight away. Like put some research into it. Read a little bit about the type of dog you're thinking about going to get. Mm-hmm. You know, do some background, do some research, do some digging around. Talk to some people. Go and do some volunteer work in a in a rescue facility for a while. Go and have a look at it. What it what it's like behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. That'll give you a better insight. Yep. Good points. So let's talk about how dogs likely end up in rescue. So in rescue, you certainly you see some puppies. Yeah. And I think it's been my experience that most of the puppies that are in rescue are from an accidental breeding. Yep. You know, rescue is largely. The dogs that end up in rescue is is often a problem of poverty, right? Yep. All around the world is that people don't have the money to spay or neuter their dog and yep. then there's an accidental breeding. So it could certainly be an accidental breeding and they don't have the network to sell those puppies or, or there is an interest. Yep. So they you know offload those puppies to the rescue. And another one would be also that uh, it's not an accidental breeding, but again, people have bred them because they someone- want, They want the kids to witness the beautiful- yeah. Story exactly. of life with, with the mother puppy having some babies. Yeah. So that would be someone like the accidental, we say, yeah, okay, like that can happen. Mm. But then there certainly is people who do it on purpose and have no idea what they're going to do with those puppies. Yeah. And, and their mate down the street says he'll take one and now there's 16 in the litter <laughs> and, and now you got 15 dogs, which happens. I know- It does I, happen. I've, I mean, the unpredictability of nature- it, like you can be a breeder and hope you'll have like a large litter because you've got a backlog of people who want your puppies and you you know you get two or three puppies when you've got 10 people who want them and then usually when you're Mr. and Mrs. Smith having that beautiful miracle of life for your children to have you're the ones who will get 16 to 20 puppies yeah. and have the female will have lactation issues and yeah. um, all sorts of veterinary costs that will be coming out of the wazoo and all of a sudden this miracle turns into a shit stream for you yeah mm. and so in both of those cases, usually what you're dealing with is people who really don't know how to breed dogs well. Yeah. 
So you're going to have issues with those puppies. Yeah. Not guaranteed you're going to, but their chances of the person giving those puppies the absolute best possible start in life is not great. And the, the other fact of that is your problem just became many other problems for many other people. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, totally. So that's how puppies likely end up in rescue. It's usually yep. accidental mating or old Jono thought that his dog was pretty and mated it <laughs> and had Jono. no idea what to do with the puppies. Yep. Adult dogs tend to be in rescue usually because of a change of circumstance with people, right? Like they've got the dog in their yard and they just don't want it anymore or they yeah. can't keep it anymore. Yeah, that does. Now, that this is not everybody. We should point out. like It's not everybody, but it's a hell of a lot. Yeah. Like it happens more than what you think. Like you are very emotionally invested in dogs. I am very emotionally invested in mm-hmm. dogs. All my staff here are very emotionally invested in dogs. The majority of people who are listening to our podcast are very emotionally invested in our dogs. Like we think it's crazy not to be in love with a dog, Mm -hmm. but we're in a very small percentage of people Yeah, because there's a larger percentage of people out there who think that animals are a pain in the neck Yeah, and they don't see it the same way we do. Like they'll get an animal and they'll look at their backyard and say, I would rather a pretty backyard than this thing running around in it, ripping it to pieces. Now for us, that's absurd. Mm-hmm. Because we don't really care too much about the backyard. We care about the, the dog that's in it. The dog running around in the backyard. To us, that's the the enjoyable part, not having a beautiful landscaped resort style backyard. Mm-hmm. We love the dog. And people can have both, you know, that's the thing. But for the reality of it, there's been a long time of well, you know, three decades that I've been involved in dogs now that I've seen people giving away dogs on a whim and very feeble excuses yeah. for doing it. When you interview them, when you say that, it basically comes down to that. This is just something that's eating food and dropping shit in my beautiful backyard. This dog has a negative, like you could summarize as this dog has a negative impact on my life. Exactly. I don't want him anymore. Yeah. You see people, this was the one that kills me, that move and don't take the dog. (laughs) Like. I know I have friends in real estate yep. that will have people move out and there's a, they go to do their rental inspection. There's a dog in the yard and, yep. and they're like, Hey, you left who, your dog you? here. You left your, they call and you left your dog here. Oh yeah. We don't want him. And now that's a way the dogs end up in rescue. Yeah. But in both cases, whether it's puppies or that adult dog, likely that there is going to be some behavioral issues and there could be, you know, this may manifest in different ways, but more often than not, those behavioral issues come from a lack of inputs, yep. not negative inputs, mm. right? So if, if you're the type of That's person right. that yeah. leaves a Good dog point. in the yard, you probably didn't give him a lot of critical period socialization and you'd probably does, you'd probably don't spend a lot of time training that dog and teaching him how to, how to behave appropriately. It knows what it knows and yeah. that's it. That's the limitation is it only knows what it knows. Yeah. And mm. if the dog is social and enjoys a company of people mm. and he gets that company so rarely that you know, no one goes out to the backyard except to feed him, well, then, of course, he runs and jumps and is a total asshole like by our standards of behavior. But that's just him expressing that he's you know, over, yeah, and he knows over, what he knows. Yeah. He's overwhelmed mm. and, and he's having a good time. Yeah. So- for sure, those kind of issues come from a, a lack of inputs rather than the negative inputs. I tell you one that murders me, one mm-hmm. that really kills me, is the ones where people have got a dog, they love this dog like it's the center of the universe and they, they're fussing over the dog. The dog They're consumed about the whole lifestyle of the dog. Dog's inside, sleeping on their bed. They have a kid and all of a sudden, boom, that dog is ostracized. Yeah. And then, or they just want to get rid of it. Yeah. It's just like, who are you? That puts an arrow through my heart every single time. Yeah. You know, like that is the one that really shakes me up. 
and the dog hasn't done anything. It hasn't threatened the kid or put the kid in jeopardy. No, no. Like I understand if you have your own human child and your dog is now got to a point where it wants to eat the child. You know, I can understand that as a safety aspect because that's dangerous and this is your blood. And there's people on here who are probably outraged by that even and say, you know, even by that standards, I don't think that's acceptable. But mm. maybe you don't have children or maybe you do and yeah. I don't know. But you do see it and usually it's a time factor. Like people yep. just, you know, they're having a kid takes a lot of your fucking time. Yeah, it does. And now they don't have time for the dog anymore. You see that for sure. And this is, a, I guess, not us judging kind of why people go into rescue, but it's a, more of when you are getting a dog from rescue, this is the likelihood of how he came to be in there. Yeah. Which kind of leads us- The backstory. Us, yeah. Mm. So knowing the backstory, which kind of leads us to the, you know, one of the, maybe the more controversial parts of what we'll talk about is the likelihood of your dog being a bait dog or having been abused by someone. Mm. So- most dog people will know this, but if, and if you've been referred to this episode, there's a couple of things we'll talk about, right? So there's this thing called the critical period of socialization. Yep. Right? And there's a whole books on this. Dr. John Paul Scott. Dr. John Paul Scott and John Fuller. Yeah. They've got a whole book on it where they basically devised how a puppy goes through its critical period of development somewhere, anywhere between arguably six to 16 weeks of age. Mm-hmm. You know, I won't bore everyone with the science on how that works, but all species go through the same thing. Yeah, even us. Yeah. And what it is, is basically that during that period of development, you will generalize experiences. Yeah. So if I meet a bunch of people and I have positive experiences with them all, then chances are for the remainder of my life, I'll make a positive associations with people unless I'm given a a reason not to. Right. And so for a puppy, that's a window that is literally open until about 16 weeks and then it closes. That's right. And for from, good. Yeah. And yeah. you will, n- you will likely never generalize things ever again. Mm-hmm. So if your puppy meets a lot of people or, or, and walks down the street and has a bunch of, you know, just life experience and it goes well it, and it doesn't even have to go super well it just needs to be not bad yep he will generalize that life is good and all these things are safe yep let me step in there for two seconds because if you are listening to this episode and you're thinking to yourself what's the book called on facebook we've got the canine paradigm book club which you're welcome to join if you're in there for the right reasons Mm -hmm. we've got a catalog of books that we and many well-read people have put up there so Go for your life. There's a whole bunch of great reading material up there, including Scott and Fuller's manuscript as well. Yeah. So back to that critical period of socialization, like all species have that. And here's, a, here's an example that I find makes people understand it quite well, right? Mm. Now, a deer's critical period of socialization, they think is maybe just a couple of hours, right? So when the deer, deer is born, he sees his mum and he maybe sees some other deers and then he makes their imprinted on him and he goes, okay, these are good. And for the rest of his life, he'll be afraid of everything that's not that, Yeah. right? So he looks around, he sees his environment and he goes, okay, I have deer friends. Whatever the deers accept, I accept. Yeah. I live in the woods. Yep. This is how my life goes. And yep. anything that is different from that will freak him out and he'll give a fear response to. And that's why when he sees a lion, he runs away, mm-hmm. right? Now, if you've got that same deer and in the first hour of being born, you put him in the presence of a well-fed lion 
the lion would imprint on the deer and that deer is not going to be scared of the next lion that he sees because he goes, okay, my life is good. Everything's fine. And my comfortable life includes lions. Yep. Right. And then when he sees, you know, six months later, he sees an, an underfed lion. He'll be like, hi friend. And then, <laughs> and then he gets eaten. Right. Yep. So that's how the critical period of socialization works. And it's the exact same thing in puppies. If your puppy then is exposed to a bunch of things, just random stuff. Mm. And he has, he doesn't even have to be a positive experience, just a neutral experience. He just goes, this is my life. Yep. This is just how things go. And I accept this. And for the remainder of his life, he'll, he'll be happy with that. So the problem that we face with a lot of dogs that are in rescue is if, if the dog ended up just being sort of backyard bred and wasn't exposed because the They're breeder- underwhelmed to everything. Yeah. The breeder never took the puppy out and exposed it to a bunch of different things yep. because they're not a breeder. They're just a person who, who, who thought their dog should be bred, yep. right? And then that puppy is left, say, with its litter mates. So it never sees other dogs. It never sees dogs that look any different from itself. And it's yep. with its litter mates past that 16 weeks. Doesn't have a good social experience with other humans outside the family home. Exactly. So what the issue you then face is that critical period of socialization closes. And what is normal for that dog is only those things. And nothing becomes generalized. Yep. So what happens is a lot of people get dogs that have been under socialized from rescue and other places. There's people that aren't rescue and do this to their dogs by accident because they don't know any better. It doesn't generalize. And so what looks like a dog who has been abused because he is scared of things, yep. you know, I'm not opposed to the word abuse because it is a form of psychological abuse, but it is just that it's psychological. It's not necessarily it's not deliberate abuse yeah, yeah it's, it's not n- deliberate physical abuse yeah mm. it's not necessarily that the dog has had a bad experience with anything that you see him now terrified of or cowering or showing extreme yeah. aggression to it's not necessarily that he had a bad experience with that yeah it's way more likely that he just had no experience with it yeah and therefore his default position is to think like that's terrifying i need to get away from it and that's where that good morticia adams quote comes in what's normal for the spider is chaos for the fly yeah where some puppies who have had this adequate level of socialization, which a normal, well-versed, well-read, well-educated person would do, which is why we do these podcasts and these episodes, is to try and get out to people the importance of doing it, because then they go out there and these puppies are given the appropriate amount of socialization Mm -hmm. and experiences and exposure to all these external stimuli, internal and external stimuli. If that's presented to them, they're going to develop well. If the backstory that you've just put up now, if that is what the normal life for the puppy is, you're looking fundamentally at two entirely different dogs. Yeah. And when, you know, like when you look at Robert Sapolsky's work and anybody who's into cognitive therapy or neuroscience and everything like that, you've got one dog who's born with a very well-formed brain and you've got another dog, the dog that you're, you've are you been just talking about, who's born with a deformed brain. Mm. Okay, well, uh, born with the same brain, but just doesn't get to a... No, it's actually deformed because they just have an underdevelopment of the regions of their brain. So it never fully develops to the... Yeah, it doesn't fully develop. Yeah, it yeah. basically has atrophy. Yeah. 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 So I guess that is the kind of long version of us explaining yeah. that your dog probably... Now, of course, there are dogs that have been... Physically abused. That, yep. that totally exists. It that, does. that totally exists. But if your dog suddenly is, if he's afraid of men, then it's not necessarily the fact that he was beaten, beaten by men. By a man. Mm. It's maybe that he's just never seen one. Yeah. And if he hadn't seen one by the time he's 16 weeks old, then he is not going to generalize that all men safe or good. 
And so, of course, after that 16-week or critical period, you're able to show the dog, like, this is okay and Mm. you can counter condition. But what tends not to happen is a generalization. And so you can make that dog, if you you are a man and you get this dog and he's terrified of you, you can go like, hey, it's okay. And he will come around to the idea through experience and say, oh, you're actually a good person. Good things come from you and, and I grow to like you. But then one of your friends come over and back to square one. It's Groundhog Day. Yeah. And mm. then another one of your friends come over and it's the exact same Groundhog thing. Groundhog Day. Right? Yeah. And that's how it's going to be for that dog for a long time. Yeah. Whereas with a puppy, a puppy might see someone and go, oh, I don't know how to feel about that. And then they go, oh, here's a treat. And they go, oh, now I do know how I feel about that. That's great. Yeah. And when the next person comes in the room, they go, hey. Got a treat? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right? But- for your adult dog that missed that critical period of socialization, yeah. it is going to be hundreds or thousands of people yep. delivering the treat before your puppy goes, oh, yeah, cool, people are good, right? And there's never a guarantee of a full recovery to that's it. Right. That, that's the issue of anything happening outside the critical period of development versus inside the critical period. So if it happens within the critical period, as you said with a puppy, you'll find that recovery is almost guaranteed. If it happens outside of the critical period – extremely difficult to non-existent. Yeah. And that critical period is a double-edged weapon because we're talking about in regards to if the puppy has a neutral or positive experience with everything. But if he does have a negative experience, if he really is beaten or if he really is attacked by another dog during that time, that's imprinted on him as well, right? That's with him for life. Yeah. Right? So it's a double-edged weapon. It's usually single event learning too and it's it's etched into their brain. That's right. So if you do have that young dog and you get it from, you know, breeder or rescue prior to that 16 weeks, that's not to say that you should just take it everywhere, you know, carefree and fancy. What's the saying? Carefree and free and fancy. Is it? Or yeah, whatever. It's not all hugs and puppies Yeah, because you do need to be careful and protect that dog from having a negative experience because that that negative experience will be with it for life. Yeah. Right. You'll be trying to recover from that. And on the other side of that too, if you do have a negative experience outside the critical period, it ain't so bad, mm-hmm. okay? Because that's more recallable to fix that problem. Yeah. But as it, you said, inside that time, yeah. you know, we're talking about more permanent learning. Yeah. That negative experience outside the critical period hopefully won't generalize. Yeah. So he goes, the man in the blue hat, it's not all men in blue hats. It's just that, it that man that, in the blue hat. That man. dude. Yeah. He did that yep. to me, right? Yep, that's Rather right. than all them. Yep. So then- that would explain why you see some dogs that have had no socialization if they were born in, in a kennel and lived in a kennel until they were a year old when you adopted it. Yep. A lot of the issues that you're going to see from that dog are not from something having happened to it. It's mm. from a lack of things happening to it. And that's not to say it's not a problem. You have a problem that you're going to have to work through, right? But creating a fake backstory by the assumptions of what you see the dog reacting to is yep. not helpful for you and it's not helpful for the dog. Yep. It's better to understand that this is from a lack of experiences and then treat the dog appropriately. And I think also it's helpful for people to keep in mind and understand that when I say that that term generalization, if you understand that these things are not going to generalize easy for your dog – you can better prepare yourself. So when you are going to a new environment, Mm. you can say, okay, well, this is going to freak him out. And so I need to set up the scenario to have him understand this too is something that is good for him, right? And continually show the dog like everything is good for you. And that may take you you a long time. You Mm. might be doing that for one, two, three years before the dog then goes, oh, okay, like I have, I am yet to have a bad experience. I thought that I may. Yep. So therefore everything is, everything in puppies and like I do have a good life, right? On the other side of this spectrum, this, I guess it's a, 
an important insert to throw in here. And you would probably be exposed to this just as much as I am, especially now, is that there'll be plenty of people owning those type of dogs. And the Mm -hmm. type of dogs I mean is thin-nerved, highly reactive dogs. Mm -hmm. And they've owned these dogs for the majority of their life. However, what they do understand is they live by better the devil you know. They know what the dog is. They know what the dog is capable of. They know what their capabilities are. And they know how to live happily ever after with that dog. Because they understand that having parties and having that dog around is not a good idea. They also understand that, you know, this dog is not an applicant for a dog park. They also understand that their dog doesn't like going to daycare. You know, they don't force the issue upon the dog. They don't try to marry the dog into a situation which this dog is highly uncomfortable with and insist on it because they're the human being and they're the one in the know that should just make it happen. Yeah. They don't put the dog in those situations. So what they do do is they make intelligent, informed decisions. They understand, my dog doesn't like any of this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to let him live his best life. I'll continue to train him. I'll continue to attempt to socialize him and counter condition him to feeling better about himself. But if it never really heals to the level that I'm hoping it will, it's not a problem because I know what I'm dealing with and I know what I'm up for. And I know what I need to do to keep him, ourselves and the public safe. If you're doing that, you're doing everything right. Hallelujah. Thank you very much. Yeah. That's really good points. And I was thinking along, you know, I live in the inner city, right? Yeah. And dog parks are very social experiences. There's a lot of people like, I'm quite guilty of this. I get along with the people down at the dog park and my dog can just go in there and most of the dogs just run around and be dogs together and the people talk and maybe they meet down there and they have a beer or whatever, right? Like it's quite a social experience. Yep. And there's a lot of people that get a dog wanting to be a part of that and the dog fucking hates it. Or the dog is, as you say, isn't a candidate for the dog park. And mm. you have to remember like the, it's not fair on the dog then to be putting it, constantly putting it in that position where it's hating it. Like because it's reinforcing for you doesn't mean it's reinforcing for the dog. Yep. And it fits into, it doesn't matter what you think and feel. It only matters what the dog thinks. And well, feels. you look at children, right? Like some kids love playing rugby. They love running around the field, chasing a ball with other kids. To another child, that would be murder and torture. Yeah. You know, they would rather sit on their computer and you as the parent look at them and think there's something wrong with my kid, but it, there's not. They're hardwired for a different application. Yeah. You know, and as distressing as that may be for you, and that is for dog owners as well, because I see people with dogs and their dog is not hardwired to want to run around with other dogs. To them, that is torment and terror. Yeah. You know, whereas they're hanging out with you in your lounge room. I mean, the dog's thinking, how good is this? Yeah. You know, I'm loving this. This is, this is my best life. I'm yeah. just sitting on the couch hanging out with you and then you're saying well you know what you know what would be fun for you Fido if you go down to a dog park and you hang out with other dogs how would that be and the dog goes down there and goes this This is torture this is the end of the world as we know it yeah this is the worst thing I can imagine ever so on that so we've talked about the dog likely wasn't beaten by the man in the blue hat (laughs) the next one is the bait dog right so a lot of people have your most frustrating topic yeah it is yeah because Almost every person that I have had as a client or even friends and people that talk to me is their dog was a bait dog, right? It's a long con. Now, it's true that bait dogs potentially exist. They yeah. are out there, but he's- and, and we've seen examples of that, right? Like yeah, we've totally, seen, yeah. You and I have spoken to people who have actually had a bait dog. You know, dogs with horrific scarred bodies and, you know, they, they look like they've been through a mincer. Yeah. You know, they've traditionally been dogs that have, that's have right. come from that thing. So they exist. Yeah, we that's right. that. And something like- Again, we should be careful to try and not 
take away because there are dogs that really are abused and badly. I, I had someone tell me once, oh, they had issues with aggression with their dog because the dog never growled. Yeah. And it was because the dog had his snout wired shut. And so he would never give any warning. He would just bite because yep. he couldn't. And I was like, oh, yeah. How do you know that? And then they're like, well, here's the photos. Here's yeah. how we found him. And here's the big scar around his face. So, like, yeah. those things happen. It's, yeah, but, it's a real thing. But they've thing. got the evidence on Yeah, that. that's like, right. They there are people have physical that do, evidence. Yeah. There are people that do really shit things to dogs. Yeah. But then there's a lot of people that will say, well, because my dog is aggressive towards all other dogs, he was obviously used as a bait dog, right? Now, remember what we spoke about, that critical period of socialization. The thing is, if your dog was born and the the whole litter were kept together and they were kept in the yard until they were a year old well everything else is the other yeah right and it's not necessarily that they ever had a bad experience mm. with another dog it it's presents had, the same but it's not the same yeah they had no experience with other dogs because yep. what they have is they they grew up in a little pack of dogs that look and act the same because they're all litter mates, right? Mm. And they look at these dogs and go, you and me are the similar sort of thing and we've been together our whole lives and now we're apart and everything else is it has to go, yeah. right? Mm. So, and you know, like that kind of mindset manifests in two behaviours, either fear of trying to get away and like, you know, really obvious fear or aggression mm. in like, I have to destroy you because I, I, I don't know what you are and I can't be around you, right? Yeah. And so that's really easy to then look at that dog and go, oh, well, he was a bait dog. He's obviously been attacked many times and just used, you know, like a torture from which there was no escape. And now that he's in a position to better his situation by attacking another dog, he will. Mm. And it's not, of course, that could have happened, but there would be scars. There would be evidence of that, right? Right. The chances are the dog that is just outwardly aggressive for seemingly no reason is because he's under-socialized. He yeah. just hasn't ever seen that other dog. Yeah. He just hasn't had, he just has had no experiences with other dogs and freaks out at the sight of it. One thing that I've learned from you in our friendship together is that you don't accept just the story. Like you like to look <laughs> further and deeper into the backstory of yeah. things. And I mean, you and I've had conversations in the past about things where, you know, like I might've gone off on an emotional tangent and brought up a topic and you've said to me, Hey, that's not right at all. That's actually a good thing. That's a good learning aspect for many other people out there, and especially in these bait dog stories, is don't accept it just because you get told it. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people, you know, like when we talk about urban myths and stuff like that, there's a lot of urban myths out there where, you know, this is a- this Well, is a- the evidence suggests it, because if you don't understand the deeper layers of evidence, like the dog is terrified of other dogs and he's trying to run away or kill them yep. for every dog he sees. It, it makes sense. If you don't know any better- you don't understand. You buy the story. Yeah, it yeah. totally makes sense. Yeah, of course. And, and there was a time when I would 100% have agreed with that. Yeah. I, I told because I didn't know any better. That's I right. would have been like, yeah, clearly that's the case. But, but that's I what I mean it. is, I, and I understand that. I totally yeah. understand that because I'm guilty of doing those things in the past. You know, like I've been in, emotionally invested in topics because a friend has told me and I thought, I trust this person. This is my friend or colleague. Why would that story not be true? Yeah. You know, it's like my, when my mum many years ago when I was a kid tried to tell me what a supernova was and it wasn't a supernova, <laughs> yeah. you know, so I un- understand those things. My mum told me the best to her knowledge what she thought it was and because it was my mum, I thought, it's got to be true. What is a supernova? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not um, an astrophysicist, but that's true. And like, I 100 percent agree that I think when uh, I think what a supernova is is when a, a star explodes. Right? Yeah. Scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's right. Like a, a lot of people might give you information, 
and uh, it's their truth, but that's not to mean that it is the truth. And the truth is subjective, right? Like that—that's a whole nother. This, yeah. This is a this is a philosophical argument we could have. For yeah, a long I know time, this could right? get really. But a lot of the times, I think people will give you information under which that under conditions under which they would pass a polygraph. Yep. They are telling they totally the truth. believe it. They yeah. are. It is their truth, but that yeah. does not mean it is correct. Yeah, and right? it doesn't mean they're a bad person no, either. Not at all. Yeah. It just means that they're misinformed. And like I say, like. For you and I and people that are listening to this, this is our job is to know this shit, right? Yep. Is to understand it, read those books and really understand it. And I've, you know, I've seen hundreds or, you know, maybe thousands of dogs now that uh, like I can make these assessments on and go and ask the, the questions. Hey, what was the story? You got him, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Now, like because of the balance, the the weight of probability, I can start making assumptions about dogs based on his backstory because yeah. I know more. Well, once upon a time, we believed in Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy. What? Sorry. <laughs> what are you about to tell me? <laughs> well, don't put your tooth under your pillow. I'm not sure I ever believed in the truth fairy. I definitely was on board with Santa, but I'm not sure I ever. Oh, how, wait. Have I told you? So hang on. Here's a story. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I make up stories for my kids. So we read a lot of books and stuff at night, mm. but he likes it when I just make up these nonsense stories, right? Well, they're not nonsense, but they're just my own version because then I try and weave in whatever's going on in our lives. And I told one the other day and I, I feel like it needs to be made into a movie. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it, it's got to be, it's there. And the punchline of it for someone who wants to write the movie was basically it's a bunch of superheroes and it was Marvel themed and Doctor Strange, there's uh, an issue with uh, a bad guy that can be multiple places at once. So they need someone who can be multiple places at once, right? Yep. And has the ability to get all around the earth in like quick succession, right? In order to fight this bad guy and the Avengers aren't able to do it, right? So then Doctor Strange goes to the North Pole and he gets there and he says, he sees Santa because Santa is in all of the, he's in every shopping center, right? Yep. All at the same time. And he somehow manages to get to every house on the planet overnight, right? So if he needs to fight a bad guy that can be in multiple places, he's the one. And Dr. Strange looks at Santa and he says, Odin, we need your help. And Santa looks at him and he says, I haven't heard that name in centuries. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out that Odin faked, Thor's his own, father. faked his own death. Yep. So he could be Santa. And ran away and was acting as Santa. <laughs> yep. I think that would be an amazing movie. That's very imaginative. Can you picture it where Santa takes off his jacket and it turns out he's actually jacked under there? It's not fat. He's actually jacked. But and wouldn't he, takes he need an off. eye patch? Uh, that would give it away that it's Maybe open. it's a fake eye. Who okay, knows, yeah, right? Okay. He takes off his jacket and he says, I haven't heard that name in centuries. <laughs> <laughs> can you picture it? Yeah, I can now. So good. Yep. Anyway, yeah. I've totally derailed our conversation. About Odin being Santa. <laughs> <laughs> About rescue dogs. Back on track. Back on track. Traditionally, we did hold those beliefs once. Yeah, that's right. You know, like we were absolutely convinced that was the truth. Yeah. Santa Claus existed. The Tooth Fairy existed. The Easter Bunny was real. Yeah. And it's the same thing. Like if you're told a story and you want to believe it bad enough, you'll believe it. Yeah. Mm. Totally. And so- I think we could probably move on from the idea, but that those are the two things that we really want to cover heavily, that a critical period of socialization is going to represent seeing people and environments in one particular way, mm. and as well as other dogs. And of course, it's totally possible that a dog that with an unknown history, it, it's totally possible that he was abused in one way, shape or form. Yep. But the balance of probabilities is likely that he just had no experiences and yep. therefore is concerned of the likelihood of the bad experience. Yep. And as as I say, I, I don't think there's a better example than that deer and the lion. Yeah, right? yeah the that's deer, an interesting viewpoint. Deers don't know lions are going to eat them. They just know that they shouldn't have anything to do with them and run away. They just right? follow the herd. 
It's herd yep. mentality. Yep. And, yep. But if they're around one at the start, yep. then they're like, oh, lions are, are you? right. Yeah. You're okay. I'm fine with this. I've mm. had experiences with lions in the past that didn't get eaten. Yeah. I've, I've actually eaten. watched National Geographic things where things like that happened. Yeah, where they get yeah. imprint. Like the mother runs away and abandons it and it just sticks around and is like, yep. okay. And then the lion doesn't know what to do and it's there's a lot of confusion going on. Yeah. Mm. It's weird, huh? It is weird. Damn nature. Yep. Uh, as well, nature is should, metal. Yeah, everybody should follow that account. Nature is metal. Under some advisement that some of it's pretty brutal as oh, well. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah, but that's nature. That's nature. Yeah, exactly. It, and that's something that we've got no control over. So if you want to know what operant conditioning and aversives is really about, nature is metal. Mm. All right. So you've got this rescue dog, mm-hmm. and now you're going to bring him into your house. Yep. My advice to people is to pretend you have a puppy. Like micromanage that dog's life the way you would a puppy. Pretty much. Um, and don't just go like, all right, you're an adult. Good luck. You know what to do. That's Good right, luck, fella. Yeah. Because you're just setting that dog up for it's a brand failure. new experience. Yeah. Everything is brand new. Yeah. Yeah. So whether you've got an overly excitable dog that has never been in anybody's house before, or you've got that senior dog that's been someone's dream pet and for whatever reason they had to rehome it, yep. uh, I usually advise people to pretend it's a puppy, yep. go back to square one and micromanage that dog's life. And and all the advice that you'll get on puppy raising is 100% relevant to you when you bring a new dog into your home. For anyone out there who's a business owner or an employee, okay, let's look at it from a a business owner's perspective, you wouldn't bring an employee into your business and just say, oh, there's your chair, there's your computer, good luck. Mm -hmm. What you would do is you would do some form of- Induction. Induction, yeah. You would do an induction. So that new employee would come in and they would learn the ropes basically from you or a mentor of choice. So you might have a policies and procedures manual that you know that person could look through, they could read, you could give it to them to take home, whatever. It might be standard reading, whatever it is. But the fact is, is they would be shown and be trained on exactly what they need to do. Mm-hmm. Because what they need to understand is, is to control their workspace so they avoid getting in trouble and they can work freely and enjoy themselves and understand you know, this is what I need to do. You know, when I come to this workplace, I sit at this desk, this is what I need to do or whatever role it is. Why would the dog be any different? Yeah. You know, why would you bring a dog in into your home and set it up to fail? It needs to be shown what to do. It needs to be trained to know what it should do at home. Mm -hmm. And people think, well, I don't want to do training. Training is the minute you put that dog in your car. You know, I mean, the dog is learning. Training is learning. That's what it is. It's a part of education. So when that dog comes into your home, you're training whether you like it or not. Yeah, that's right. You know, the dog is learning what it should be doing. What you want to do is teach the dog to do all the things that you do want it to do. So then it goes, ah, so this is part of my new structured life at home. Yeah. Okay. These are the things that I get in trouble for. And these are the things that I don't get in trouble for. You talk about this, Pat, a lot is showing the dog where its advantage lies. Yeah. Why not do that from the start? Right from the like, get-go. Right from the get-go. As soon as you get the dog, set the dog up so the dog can clearly see where life's advantages are and how to constantly gain them. So these are the things that I've tried. I've experimented in these behaviors and operantly it teaches me don't do those because it doesn't lead to favorable outcomes, but all of these other things do. Mm-hmm. You know, the goodie bags of life end up in doing this, this, and this, but not that and that. So what I'll do is avoid that because it's never end- ended up well for me, but all of these other things, fantastic, great. Yeah. How can you go wrong? Yeah, exactly. Mm. And I think with an adult dog, especially with, you don't know its history when you bring a dog into your home. Mm. You just 
like for me personally, I want to stay away from any form of like physical corrections for a little while, right? Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. to say that I'm like- Positive a, first. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. Positive yep. first. It's not to say that I am, you know, like force-free, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Eventually that has to come in. But what I want is for the dog to be like, holy shit, how good is my new life? Yeah. Right? I have rules. They're very strict. They're, like I'm only allowed these particular places, but I'm only allowed them because- that's where the success is in those places rather than that there's a negative in those other places. So for a long time, it's just management. And when I say a long time, like it might be days or it could be weeks, who knows, right? It just depends on the dog. Yep. But we're showing him this is where his success is. So like, this is where you want the dog to to empty out. Well, like give him those opportunities to do that. Like yep. be on top of it. If you want the dog to sleep in a bed or on a crate or whatever, like when the dog walks into the home, there's already food in that crate, right? Mm. Like just simple stuff like that. So that he goes, oh, my life here is awesome. This is where the points of reinforcement come from, yep. right? And using sort of guiding force rather than a lot of people come in, like get a dog in the house and they go, like, I've seen this many times, like, okay, I've got to assert myself over this dog. And he goes in the kitchen and starts counter surfing because like, he's never been in anybody's house before. He jumps on and the counter. And it's rewarding for him to do it. Yeah. And you mm. give him a smack and then he goes, all right, I guess my life with you is getting smacked by you. Yeah. Right. Like, so you, you just, that's not an ideal day one, mm. right? So manage the dog so that he he, do, he can't do anything wrong. And if he can't do anything wrong, then there is no need for you to have an unpleasant experience. Because if you want to stop a behavior, it, it has to be unpleasant, right? Yeah. Like that's how behaviors are stopped. So build behaviors in the direction that you want right away so that you don't have to start your relationship off with that. Yeah, exactly. Dog. Develop a strong relationship. And then later you can be like, hey, man, you can't do that. Here's a consequence for having done that. And the dog will accept that consequence from you or likely will accept that consequence from you. Yep. Rather than if it's day one, you're just setting, all right, me and you are going to fight it out. And fuck that. That's not that's not the life you want with a dog. No. And especially if you've got a dog that's got a bit of form to it as well, mm. you know, because that's when you really do. I mean, look, the dog's already coming home. It's uncertain, you know, and you get into that tangle of trying to force yourself on the dog. That's pretty much a dog that's going straight back to the rescue facility. Yep. It's setting yourself up to fail. Yep. Something else that I've noticed happens with rescue dogs sometimes is like a honeymoon period. Yeah. The dog comes into the house and it like, it's great. These are people that I've sort of interacted with as a trainer. They say like, oh, we've had the dog for, you know, eight weeks and four of them were fantastic. Two of them, the dog started to display some odd behaviors and now you're here at eight weeks and the dog's been a total asshole for the last two weeks. Yep. And like there's been varying reasons why that can happen, but I think for sure that is a common story, right? Have you experienced that? Yeah, yeah, a lot. Yeah, quite a lot. And I guess a lot of the times what happens is the dog starts to get in a rut. Mm-hmm. Primarily, this comes from exactly what you were talking about before, where all these foundational control mechanisms weren't set up. Yeah. So the dog comes home. It's pretty much the blind leading the blind. The dog doesn't know what it's supposed to do, and the new owner doesn't know what they're supposed to do either. There's been a, a lot of limitation in early learning for all of them. So they've come home and they've expected, oh, this dog's just going to plug in, mm. you know, like it's going to bolt onto my life so perfectly that everything's going to go swimmingly from here but hey guess what you're dealing with this with an entity that now has a brain and this is what i try and encourage people to understand you didn't just buy a car that you parked in your garage turned it off and it shuts down and until you need it again yeah okay this is something that 24 hours a day it's living breathing and thinking okay even when it's on and off it's still its brain is it's got activity there so if you don't give it input and activity to do it's constantly thinking okay well you haven't shown me what I'm not allowed to do. So 
I'm going to explore it. Yeah. You know, because even though you're not enjoying that and the dog doesn't know that, to the dog, it's awesome. Yeah. You know, the dog's having a great time smashing your your rubbish bin over, jumping up on your counter and knocking your, your things off or pulling your computer head. I mean, one of the things that Ladybug did the other day, she ran into the room and she went to jump up onto my lap and I had headphones on and everything because I was editing one of the podcasts and she pulled it all off and I, I didn't get mad at her. I wanted to, but I thought to myself, well, you know, if I didn't have the cable hanging down there where it shouldn't have been because I've got a dog that runs around and likes jumping up on my lap, if I didn't have it there, it would never have happened. Yeah. So I have to take some of that blame. Yeah. All right. So the expectation of the dog knowing, and this is, oh man, that's one of the things that really grinds my gears. People that say to me, well, the dog knew. And even me as a trainer, even after all these years, sometimes that that thought creeps up yeah, into my yeah. brain and say, and then I say to you, hey, hey, don't be that guy. Yeah. You know, you're the guy that educates the other guys not to think like that. And that's an easy one to slip into. So what you've got to do is you've got to look at yourself and say, you know what, this dog isn't foolproof. It doesn't have all the answers. It's grifting through life looking for opportunities and advantages. Yeah. Okay. So if it finds them in, in things that you're not establishing as clear guidelines on what you can do and what you can't do, your dog's going to be very much into, well, it's a can-do thing. Mm-hmm. So you're going to look at it and go, well, that's very unpleasant. Don't do it. And the dog goes, well, I don't understand not to. So how do I live with you in those circumstances? So what you then do is you hit a wall of conflict with each other. Now you're in conflict immediately because you're thinking, well, you're an asshole, and the dog's going, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. And again, you're referring back, you know, if we if we backtrack to the point about having an employee, if you don't train them and they're sitting there and they're not doing their job and you just go and yell at them, they're going, well, I I don't know what the job is. Yeah. You know, so you've set them up to fail from the beginning. Yeah. And then they train themselves. Exactly. It's all, it's all learning. Yeah. Hopefully might be in the direction that you want, but likely it's going to be in the direction they want. You know, one of the things that I see a fair bit, when I was doing a lot of pet work in the area uh, where I live, you'd see this is a very common sort of thing, is that people get a a dog, it's great, and then before too long, now it's aggressive to anybody that comes in the house and nobody, it doesn't want anybody there. And they, they say, oh, he was fine when we got him. And kind of what you can diagnose, and this is really common in a, you can pick up this template and apply it to lots of different behaviors and areas, Mm. is that. He was uncomfortable, but he didn't know that he could better his situation by expressing his discomfort. Yep. So you get a dog into the house. He's new. He's there. He's chilling out in the house. He's doing his own thing. The doorbell goes off and he doesn't know what the hell that is. It's just a, a sound and someone walks in the door and he's like, who are you? I don't know what's going on here. And so he just doesn't appear to do anything. And people will say, oh, he was fine with people coming over. But they don't really have, first of all, they don't have a base level of what fine is. Yep. And the dog, it's just novel to the dog. The dog's like, I don't know who this is in the house, in this place that I'm at. Yeah. Right? It's not established a, a network of this is my place. Yeah. Mm. And so maybe he's never had a place, right? He's never had a resource, especially if he was raised in a kennel. Yeah. His resource might have been his like food bowl mm. that had no value to him. Yeah. Right? So then- over a period of, you know, a month, six weeks, whatever, the dog goes, hang on, I like it here. Yeah. Right? This like, is mine. This is my house. And mm. for once I have resources I'm going to protect. I like these people because they give me stuff, right? Yep. My life has improved through the roof. Now I have the association. I know that knock on the door means someone's coming in. Yep. 
and I don't know what their intent is, so I want to push them away, yeah. right? And it only takes like a little growl one time and then the people like, whoa, like everybody gives a reaction to this dog who's never growled at anybody before, right? Yeah. They give the reaction to the dog, which reinforces it, and before too long, that dog's chasing people out of the house, yep. right? And it's just because you haven't set him up to understand like, yeah, you have a great life here and other people coming in are only here to give you more things. Mm -hmm. Like there's only good things come of people coming in. And so it's like I say, it's about making that conscious effort right from the get go to show the dog, this is your life and these are the good things that come to you now, right? Sage advice. Because as a puppy, like I say, we've spoken about many times, like a puppy might display all those same things, mm. but you're not scared of a puppy because he's- He's he, just a little cute puppy. Yeah. And you and pick him up and go, oh, look, yeah, he's and making he, a little sound. He might give this that the exact a growl with the exact same intensity that this 40-kilo two-year-old dog does, right? Yeah. The eight-week-old two-kilo puppy does the same thing. You don't even notice. Everyone so, laughs and they get their Instagram out. Yeah, and yeah. they laugh and, they, and it, he has no effect in his aggression and yeah. it just quickly goes away, right? Yeah. Unless it is reinforced and that's a whole other topic. Yeah. But when you're- when that 40 kilo dog that you've only known for four weeks growls at someone in your house, he gets a reaction, yeah. right? And then he goes, Ugh. and he's new. He's, you know, like that's not normal. Yeah, you don't know that's, him, that's, right? That's, that's scary. Yeah. And especially if you've bought the backstory that he was abused, right? If you, if you've bought into that and someone comes into your house and the first time that like your friend Jono from down the street walks in and yep. the, the dog goes, mm, I'm not so sure people should be in my house. And yep. It just happens to be him. And then you go, Oh, we found it must have been someone that looks exactly like Don Jono that abused the dog in the He's past. He's the man in the blue right? hat. And then we say, oh, Jono, you can't stick around, mate, because you've made my dog uncomfortable and I really like this new dog. And clearly he was abused by someone that looks like you. So, you know, let's give him the space. Well, then your dog just goes, uh-huh. I know how to get people out of this house, right? Mm. And then suddenly it's not just the people that look like Jono, it's people that look like Mary as well, right? And, it, and then you've got this really aggressive dog on your hands. And that is very typical. Like I see a lot of that. Yeah. And that's not the dog's fault and that's not the rescue's fault. There's nothing. That's just behavior, right? Yeah. That's just behavior. And that, so that's a cue in where I usually say to a lot of people all the time, the dog is not misbehaving. It's just behaving. Yeah. It's just learning what life is about. What can I do? What do I get paid for doing? And what do I get punished for doing? Yeah. You know, it's, it's primarily the same thing that we work amongst. It's yep. just that we have more, civilized ways of communicating with each other so we can verbalize what we're doing and i mean dogs can verbalize i I understand that but we can't have the same cognitive discussion with a dog that we can with human beings as much as you would like to and as much as people all over the world have tried to adopt that notion that we can foster the dog into our home like our own child what you're doing is you're giving your dog a limitation on its ability to learn because now it does have a regressed form of learning thanks to you you know, yeah. and that that's a bit of pill you have to swallow. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Whew. That's a big one. It is. Yeah. Some hey, very, very good pointers in that one. Yeah. Mm. So the other thing I'd say as well is if you are listening to this and, you know, you've been, it's been referred to you or, you know, you just found it looking for rescue or whatever, is get a trainer. Like, Yeah, the, yeah. That's, for, that's gold. For the, that's gold. the, you know, a couple of hundred bucks or whatever it's going to cost you to – have someone come over and help you set up for success yep. before there's a problem is going to pay dividends. And, you know, like I like to think about the, the long-term uh, investment. So yep. you might be getting a dog that you've got for going to have for 10 or 15 years and to just spend 500 bucks 
upfront on getting the right advice to set him up so that you have a good time with him for 15 years rather than resent him for 15 years is going to be money well spent. Like when you average that out over the cost per day or cost per positive interaction with your dog, it's nothing. That's a very good point. And here's another one on top of that. So if we're going to layer good points around that whole subject, there's a lot of people that I've spoken to when I've done lessons with them and they have an issue with, let's say, for example, coming to terms with having to spend several hundred dollars, whatever it is, on a consult. Mm -hmm. The other issue that I see is that they've already spent $5,000 in damages from what the dog has done and then they think, oh, well, now I need to go out and do training. It's far better if you prevent it from happening at the start simply by looking at what you laid out before is if you think to yourself, this is an investment in my future, it's a couple of hundred bucks. Yeah. Prevention is better than a cure. Prevention is better than the cure. That That's the term I was looking for. Yeah. So yeah, prevention is definitely better than cure. And I can't tell you how many countless times that has been the case, especially when the dog has bitten somebody, scratched them, rushed them, and then counsel have got involved. I mean, that's a terrible ordeal for people to go through. It's so invasive. It's so prickly. You know, it really opens up the most enormous can of worms for you. And people don't really understand how emotionally taxing that actually is. Like I see people just at the brink of chaos in their lifestyle. I can't express to you how bad it actually goes for them. They're just overwhelmed with how bad it actually gets. And I'm not trying to put people into a scare tactic of trying to fear you into getting a trainer. What I'm saying to you is that in a lot of these cases, it could have so well easily been avoided simply by going to get the right advice from the start. You know, it's like early diagnosis. If you go to the doctors early, you know, the doctor can say to you, we can fix this. Yeah. It's easy. You know, like you've got whatever it was, it's early stages. We can do something about it. No problem. But if you just leave it, leave it, leave it, leave it, and then go when it's terminal, they can say to you, why didn't you come to me six months ago? You know, something I've been meditating on a lot recently is the role of experts. Yeah. And I have a new coach, right? And it's been a long, we've spoken about this, right? Like it's been a long time since I've had a coach, like in something I know nothing about, right? So I'm trying to learn a new skill, sort of taken up a new hobby. It's something totally away from dogs, something I have done a little bit of in the past, but I've now just found like someone that really, truly, deeply understands it. They're immersive. I'm back to the square Mm. one basics, like week Mm. one, day one, right? And I was thinking the other day, sort of meditating on the idea of experts and how much I, I'm really drawn to them. I really am. Reminds me of say, like when you look at Bart, like, or people like him in the industry that are just no, in an instant things that, things that you think are like, oh yeah, that's just like, that's just this little thing over here. Yeah. And then they can break that little thing down into a 10 day speech. Yeah. I really love the idea of that. And I'm so interested in people doing that all over the place. Mm. And I think that experts can be expensive. And so like having a dog trainer come around and give you expert advice on how to set up, it can feel like a a big slug at the time, but it's not when you consider the possible outcomes. And I think, you know, like say you want to paint your own house, right? You can get an expert painter to do it. It's going to cost you money or you can do it yourself. And the consequences of doing it yourself and doing a bad job of it are just that you end up with kind of an oddly painted house, right? People's lives and and health and safety aren't typically on the line, right? So for me, that's where I kind of draw the distinction. It's like, am I going to have a shot at this and just see how I go? Or am I going to fork out a bunch of money and get someone who's dedicated their life to understanding this in in its tiny minutia, yeah. right? Well, what are the consequences? And I think in dogs, especially if you're bringing a dog into your home and most people who have, uh, who are getting a new dog, 
they might have had dogs their whole life, right? But you probably haven't had a new one in 15, 10 or 15 years. Yeah. So a lot of the history of what it is to own a new dog, even if your last dog was also an adult rescue that you got in and this one lives of a similar time. They're not the same dog. Mm. And you're remembering your experiences with the past dog through rose-colored glasses. Right. And things have changed since then as well. Yeah. You know, learning, learning practices and training formats have changed since then as well. Yeah. So it's worth the out, the the outlay, no matter, you know, wherever you are in the world, whatever it costs for, to get an expert dog trainer in to give you a couple of hours of advice. And a good one too. Yeah. That's the hard part. When you were telling me this story before, it was reminding me of this old joke that I saw where there's an ad in the paper for a welder and it says payment between 45 to a hundred dollars. And this guy goes in and he starts welding and he just welds splattering all over the place and it just looks terrible. It's just absolute chaotic. And then he does this other weld where it's perfect. It's, it's perfect. It's absolutely seamlessly done. And the guy looks at it and he goes, what are you giving me? Like he said, this is terrible. He said, well, that's the $45 an hour. And he goes, and the other one, that's $100 an hour. Yeah. That's primarily what you get to. Yeah, yeah. You know, but- Yeah, what you pay for. But yeah. also it isn't just money as well because some people like- They charge the big dollars and they're terrible. That's right. Mm. And, and that is a trick of marketing is just to charge a huge price and people just assume that you're the best. Well, we've talked heavily in this- episode about looking deeper into things like having a more pragmatic and being a bit more visionary in your outcomes do that in your dog training selection as well yeah you know like look at references and look at work they're doing and often you can see what people can do by what they can do with their own dogs as well yeah totally you know that's a good indicator yeah references indicators in what they can do with their own dogs that'll give it away yeah all right i think we'll wrap it up on that all right you know i think for our regular listeners if you're still with us, this has been sort of basics, right? But our hope is that maybe you can use this as a reference. Yeah. That you can maybe say to people, clients of yours or whatever, that you say, hey, like you're thinking about getting a new dog or you have just gotten a new dog or listen whatever. This. Yeah, you're experiencing issues with your, your dog. Like mm. go and have a listen to this and that hopefully should give you some background and hopefully you are a good trainer and you can help them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> And no skin off your nose that you've got to look at this objectively and long-term as well. Sometimes you've got to be the GP and sometimes you've got to be the specialist and you need to really objectively look at that. Even in my experience, the time I've been around, there are certainly people that I will reference over myself. I'd look at what I'm capable of doing myself and think I would do that person a disservice by trying to bumble my way through that. There is no point in trying to just for my ego to bring that customer in. That's doing the wrong thing by everybody, even by myself. So what I look at it, as I said, when you look at it through objectives, you say to yourself, okay, I know somebody who'd be perfect for that. I'm starting to see, and I know you are, and we've spoken to countless people who have been guests on our show before, where they said that is really starting to open up in the industry, where people are starting to not withhold things to themselves. Like they're actually starting to open up in the industry to say, who could best serve this person? Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, we're seeing it in forums now. It's a wonderful thing. I'm really proud of people for embracing that and taking it on board. Totally. Mm. I love that shit. I love referring people. It comes around. It, it does. all comes back around. Yeah, it does. There's a myriad of other things that people are so heavily skilled in that it would be offensive to try and take on that job. Exactly. Mm. All right. Well, yeah. let's wrap it up. It's a real wrap up. That's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe, and do that through whatever subscription service you uh, download us from. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is on Patreon, talking about sharing knowledge. The, there is some deep knowledge getting dropped in there. We put some episodes up in there that are, as I was saying, like a real exploration into the minutiae of training, yeah. right? 
And that funds our show. Yeah, that's mm. right. So that uh, Patreon is what buys us our gear, our, our recording gear and all that kind of stuff and gives us the ability to continue doing this. Mm. Just bought a new recording gear and editing suite that is all in action oh, currently. It's fantastic. The other thing you could do is to jump onto Teespring and get yourself some cool ass merch. Yep. So you can be repping the show while you support the show. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate you. Yeah. And if you want to get in contact with us, do it in the discussion group. So yeah, jump on Facebook group. and put a post up in the there. Canine Paradigm Discussion Group. Yep. So just tell us a little bit about who you are and agree to our terms, and then we'll allow you to jump in. Yeah. And the terms are just giving us your house. No big yep. deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Music. Music.